privilege this morning to be able to um, listen to um, Josh explain some of his uh, testimony and some of his path to you. Some of you know and have been connected with uh, Josh through his sister Kara that goes to the church here, but uh, many of you have been praying for Josh, been seeing some of the things that God has been doing, and so we wanted to invite him this morning to tell you a little bit about not just his testimony, what has been happening, but also what is going to be happening. So Josh, join, join me up here. And I actually mentioned Josh, not by name, but I actually mentioned him on the floor of the house a couple of weeks ago. And uh, one of the things that I was talking about when we were talking about some of the drug centers. So he's going he's gonna to tell us what's up. Good morning, Church of Bragate. <clears throat> it's an awesome time to be serving the Lord, right? I'm going to open up with prayer right quick. Dear Heavenly Father, I come to you this morning. God, I just want to start off by giving you thanks and just letting you know that everything that is said today is true. Then all glory goes to you and only you, Father God. Because you are a provider, you are our creator, our redeemer. Um, you are a savior. You are perfect in all ways. And uh, may the words just come out today just be of you, Father. Hear my pray. Amen. Amen. So this morning I talked a little bit, right? And one thing that God is telling me is like, why are you talking about the past so much? You're no longer there. Son, you're no longer there. You're no longer dead. You're no longer uh, spiritually severed from me. You are one with me. You are adopted back into the family of Christ. So why do you keep going to there? It's a reminder of that thorn in the side of where I don't want to be, of where I've come from of how I'm able to use that in order to talk with people, um, whether it be from addictions in the past. You name it, I've done it. Every drug in the book, several times. It killed me several times, but I'm here. Um, yes, by his mercy, I am here. And I start off this by saying that I deserved to die a year ago because I was no good. Um, I was a lot of things. And I'm going to start this off by what the word of Titus 3.3. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, and service various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God, our Savior towards man, appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So I read this about a month ago and didn't understand it, I, not at first, but I know the Bible is tried and true. So this reflects a lot of my life. And I'm going to share a little bit of my life today. This is me a year ago, living off of oxygen, living off of medicine, um, having faith in man, complete faith in man, right? I needed these meds to stay alive. I needed these meds to feel regular, to feel normal. So that's what I put in my mind, that I needed man for this. Uh, a year ago, uh, yeah, sorry, the last one kind of hurt. Um, I was, a year ago, I was, uh, I, overdosed on, I overdosed on fentanyl. Didn't know it was fentanyl. I thought it was something else. Up until about a month and a half ago, I realized that my mother was in the ER seeing me being defibrillated. 
to seeing my chest getting crushed in so they're trying to put breath into me, to try to give me that breath of life. Not until six weeks ago did it really mean something to me that God's mercy, mercy for my mother, your mercy, your prayers, and what it really means. Mother's love, Mary's love for Jesus, all of those things made sense to me finally. It finally dawned on me. The women here in the the lengths that they go for their children that they may see or never see. We don't know. But a mother's love is, it's non-replaceable. She's here today too. Thank you, Mom. This is me a couple weeks later. Dead again. Wow, how about that, huh? Being kept alive by machines. By machines. There's my mom. Always there. Always there, always taking care of me. The people that went through hell and back, and it's pretty neat here. I had my whole family this weekend, but the ones who stayed and who are in service today, who went with me to hell, who went with me back and redeemed me, are all here in that back room today, this back of this room today. My children I put through these situations. My brothers who there, they drove from all areas of the world, all areas of the United States to be next to my side, to be there and to pray for me. All of my prayer warriors are right here. The, my originals are right here. You guys that prayed and came together, whether it had been a random prayer or a direct prayer, are reasons why I'm here today and alive and well. Healthy. No medications. Nothing. Yes. Amen. Rehab. Not rehab by just going to rehab, but rehab with the twist. Rehab with learning and growing your faith and what I know now as my Savior. Using God as the healer. God as the provider. God as everything. All that you'll need. I didn't believe it at first. I'm sold out now. All the way through. There's another picture of me in Wyoming. Now, I went to the Adult Teen Challenge in Wyoming. Um, and up there, with the help of uh, my minister, Reverend Patty Dykes, um, helped open my eyes and open my heart and helped me start developing a relationship with God that will never be severed again, that will no longer put me in the grave ever again. <clears throat> in the process of this, I uh, prayed to God, and God put on my heart. He says, I need you to go. You know, we've been working on this Matthew, right? Been working through Matthew and Luke about the disciples being called out. When you're called, will you go? When you're called, will you be obedient? And I talk a lot on obedience, and I talk a lot about being whole with God. Because of this very moment, God said, I need you to go to Wind River and Pine Ridge. I'm like, what? What is this? Okay. So I, I asked my minister and her husband, I said, where are these places at? Like, you're crazy. Why would you want to go there? I'm like, I don't want to go there. But God's telling me to go there, so it must be something I got to do. Of course, God was right, and I was wrong. I argued. I tried arguing with God, but I heard God dislocates members of the body. So I was like, you know, I better not try this. <laughs> so I listened, and this is Pine Ridge. 
Um, I don't have very much photos of the people or the houses or how they live and their ways of life because that is not my job to exploit them and how they are on the exterior. It's my job to talk to you and teach you about them on the interior, about who they are, because their spiritual, their spiritual nature of wanting and needing a savior and a leader is so heavy and so wanted right now. It's, it's unbelievable. So is my dog, Charlie. We wander the hills out there quite a bit. So last May when I went on this adventure, I didn't, again, I was not a, in relationship with Christ, but I began to be in relationship with Christ. And as of the middle of December, I obeyed my call, and this was in September. So by December, God had placed me as director of a men's ministry in White Clay, Nebraska, right? And I'm like, so this is what obedience, right? And I, and I don't even realize that I'm just listening to God. And God's like, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to take care of you. Just go where I direct you and you be good. And it's been some weird places. I've gone in some weird situations where I'm like, this is crazy, you know? And people are even telling me, you can't do that. You just don't go here. I'm like, well, if God's telling me to go, I better go. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's drug-ridden, gang-ridden. I'm like, hey, that's in my backpack. I know how to deal with this. I've lived there, and I survived. So let's do it. And so this ministry is on 10 acres. We have a room comfortably up from 16 to 24 people on the campus. And it's difficult because it took a lot of cleaning house. So right now there's only two of us there in the whole campus. And my realization of things now is the call for people to know if you're if you're driven to do something if God is calling you if God is knocking saying hey look obey listen check this out if there is getting in the mission then the mission field in the ministry this is our green zone into the Pine Ridge Reservation this is the place that you can work on reservation and come back out of it and place to rest place to uh just rest, really. I can't, there's no other way to put it. Seek God and you find rest. Seek Jesus, you'll find rest. I mean, this is the place to do it safely that we have established. And I know a pastor is talking about, he's been here before. And I found that out this morning. I'm like, well, okay, well, he's been there before. The people that sold the land to this ministry, my dad is now friends with up in North Dakota. And they've been praying for a leader to come here for the past 40 years. And I'm like, Okay, so, and God, and, and I like it because God's like knocking and he's just like, you believe me yet? You believe me yet? I believe you. I believe God. And I started rolling with it and it has been tremendous. <clears throat> this is my minister up there. His name's Kurt. I share this image because it's one of the few images I do have. Um, one listening to God and obeying God and going to do what he asks is I wanted to be in connection with the people. So God gave me a funeral. Take care of this family. They lost a loved one. Take care of them and do what I've told you to do. So I did. And a Navajo Christian missionary, myself, dug and buried and transported the body of a Lakota man in the back of my Ford F-350 through all of Pine Ridge. And talk about a way to being noticed. Talk about a way to being known. Now, old F-350s are not quiet. They're obnoxious. They're loud. 
And believe me, I have a heavy foot, so you're going to notice. And they said, you're the guy with the F-350. I said, I'm the guy with the F-350. You buried one of us. You took care of one of us when you didn't have to. Yes, I did. Why'd you do it? I said, because that's what God would have done for me. That's what Christ, that's what I'm hoping somebody would have done for me. My family. It took them in and not expected anything in return. This was a few weeks back. This guy on the right, his name's Adam Espinoza, Lakota man. We, I've been working with him for four months now, and he's an adult teen challenge right now in Wyoming. This is him and I working at Mount Rushmore. Who would have thought I'd be working at Mount Rushmore, right? I mean, <laughs> changing out a water main, the guy says, we don't have nobody to do it. Anybody who wants to come and do this is like $12,000. I'm like, okay, cool. So I go in there and do it. We complete it. And he's like, how much? Nothing. He looks at me. He's like, what? Nothing. We do it because we love to do it. We don't do it because we want pleasures and we don't desire money or nothing like that. So we do it out of the goodness of our heart because that's what Christ does for us. Living like Christ, doing things like Christ is what is highly important by this word and what it teaches. And that's what we do all the time is a reflection of our creator. <clears throat> to this day, I've not had a meter switch out so smooth, by the way. <laughs> God knew I was on a timeline that day. He was just like, you got like three hours and you got to go be down here. I was here a couple weeks ago. That's when it happened. This is part of the ministry. This is our uh, heating source, our boiler outside. It's a wood burner. Um, that'll build some character. <laughs> It, it, we have to feed it every three hours to keep temperature in the building. So we keep that boiler circling. So as somebody's always on, you know, always on watch, whether it's me or my buddy, but every three hours we're stoking that fire, staying awake for an hour, get it to temp, turn it off. And most of the time, it's not exactly the pleasant of weather outside. Sometimes it's, it's somebody who stand at the door and wait for you to get to there, feed it, and come back because temperatures were reaching the negatives all the time up there for quite a bit. Now, I'm New Mexican, right? <laughs> and I, I would be like, oh, that sucks for those guys up there. Now I'm one of those guys up there. I'm like, all right, well. <laughs> These are our sunrises. I share this right here because of where I've been and what I've done. Um, even my dad's just like, I want to see what God does here. I want to see how God does this. He's, he, was so, he was so curious about it because I said, I'm putting it for my passport. My dad's like, yeah, or whatever. You know, at first, then he got, if you pray for it, it'll happen. If God has a plan for you, it'll happen. I got my passport five weeks. I didn't believe it happened. You know, I was like, what? It came through. God's just like, you're doubting again. Quit it. I like, all right, I'll quit it. <laughs> This is right here is my study. It's amazing to think that all the time that you put into, I want to say the television, internet, games, different things like that, and you pick up a book and read it, and how many things you can actually learn and actually uh, being able to use and to teach with. Now I have stacks and stacks of books and can't believe that I've gone through them once, twice, some of them three times. 
and able to, every time I study a book, I'm able to teach on it or use it at some walk in life when somebody needs to hear a message you have to say. So it's important to read. One of the few pictures of Pine Ridge, when they say you get stuck in a blizzard, I never believed getting stuck in a blizzard and got stuck in a blizzard. We were stuck for four days, four foot of snow hit Pine Ridge, and it was a mess. Now, we all know that reservations don't have the quickest response time for DOT to clean up stuff, so it lasted a good 11 days on the ground. So teams were coming through all over the place. We're trying to help out, and, you know, we, we did what we could, but it was, it, was a tough, it was a tough couple weeks. This is a church in Wolf Creek. We had about 40 people in there. But <laughs> And it's, it's such a beautiful thing to see these things happen that the house is the church there. The churches that are there are dormant. The churches that are there have no pastors. They have no leaders. And I do deal a lot with Vili. You guys know Vili from Joshua Nations that they got the preachers, but not the churches. Well, we have the churches, but not the preachers. It's like, what is going on here? We got it backwards in the United States. And a lot of times they say, this is happening in the United States? I'm like, yes, this is, the, this is our backyard right here. This is happening five hours away. It's right here. Third world happening right before our eyes. Pine Ridge. <clears throat> a place I once wanted to avoid, now a place I long to get back to. A place I call my home. A people that were told to me that cannot be loved, they cannot be one. Just impossible. I'm like, you don't know my God. You don't know my God. But I'll teach you about my God. And you can learn about my God. And you can be in relationship with my God. And then you'll know that there is no impossible. There is no limits. That he's all great, all merciful. And he loves the sinner. And he will redeem the sinner. Plain and simple. I love it. I love being here. I'm thankful for the church. I'm thankful for you guys. And there's a lot more to talk about. There's so much more, but I just appreciate the time today to be able to share a little about me and thank you that without you guys, I would not be here today. Appreciate that. Thanks, Josh. We want to uh, pray for him just like we pray for all of our missionaries. And uh, just step down here. Anybody that wants to come up, come join us. We want to pray that uh, the, the same basic things, right, that the Holy Spirit goes before him, gives him wisdom, understanding, direction, protection, all those things. But then we also pray that the Holy Spirit puts him into our hearts as part of us, that um, many of you have spent a lot of time praying for Josh. Um, this is, we're not slowing that down, we're ramping it up. And uh, so let's pray. God, we thank you so much for Josh. I thank you for his heart. Lord, his obedience. God, the path that he's been on. Lord, it's just a testimony of how big you are and what you can do with us when we just surrender to you. So God, continue him on the path that you've got him on. Lord, as you take him to the Lakota Sioux, Lord, give him direction there. Give him, give him, the, um, give him favor. Lord, we don't know, we know that... Um, that not all the, the tribes naturally work together, but, Lord, you can give him those inroads. 
And Lord, we, we, we acknowledge that, we accept that, and we are asking for your, just your power over this whole thing. Give him, give him your power when he's walking and talking with people, and we thank you for this. We pray this all, Lord, for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. You can get to know Josh a little more after service. And also, one of the things is, um, there, as he continues to do this, he hasn't been, uh, he hasn't like been officially put in the situation, but that's that's in the process. And he's going to probably, well, he's going to need our prayers, and he's going to need our finances too. So if you want to contribute to Josh, we don't have him as as uh, like one of our registered missionaries yet, but we're going to work toward that. Um, but, but talk to him about it. And if you want to run that through the church, you definitely can. This is a missional concept. So, so uh, just come talk to us or, or talk to him directly, and we can, you can figure this out. So I did want to mention uh, one of my new friends, and he has become a friend, is here with us this morning. Don, if you don't mind, just stand real quick, wave or do something, tap dance or whatever it takes. Uh, Don is representative um, up by Monument. That's his district. And so he and I sit a couple seats from each other and spend a lot of time talking. He is really a, a true warrior working in the trenches in this stuff. Um, so, so, yeah, definitely go and say hello to him. <clears throat> so something that is coming up this week, I want you to be uh, praying with us about this. It looks like this week they're going to introduce uh, three abortion bills to us. Uh, this is coming from the Senate, and uh, we're going to need your prayers for this. We're going to need um, just your, your just, just literally just pray. I don't know what else you can do, but just pray about this. And here's what I've been praying lately. So, so think about this. Uh, maybe I've been praying that God would um, cause, and I'm going to read a, one of these scriptures this morning, but I've been praying that God would cause confusion um, amongst the majority ranks so that they accidentally vote no on their own bills, right? And they, th- this, is, this is scripture where the armies would fight themselves. All of a sudden, they turn on each other and fight themselves. And we do know there's a lot of division and dissension within the majority ranks, although don't, you, you can't see it unless you're there all the time. But just pray that, um, that for some reason, things just don't go right or well, and, and it gets confused, because they are working hard to make sure that we can't speak. They already have a supermajority, that now they're working on some ways to try to keep us from actually speaking by um, limiting our time and doing a bunch of stuff like that, which is not right, and it's barely constitutional, if, if, it, if that. But uh, just be praying for us. And, and, um, and I've had some people that have kind of come and talked to me about some of the visions that they've gotten and some things like that, including my wife, which uh, she doesn't do this that often. But it's really been encouraging to hear some of the things that are, that are confirming in my spirit dreams and things that people are having and saying, this is what God showed me when you're in the house and stuff. And, and I might talk about some of those in the future, but it's just, I, I know that God is doing stuff. And so part of the reason I'm speaking this message, I've been, I've been uh, speaking this message, uh, not exactly the same, but a similar over the last few months, about three different times. And I'm revisiting the, the concept today with different scriptures, different parts of scripture. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to revisit this because partly for me, okay, I, 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 uh, I catch myself praying, sitting in the house, praying uh, in the House of Representatives, not my house, but praying about this and praying for all the different things, and, and then God does something, and it catches me off guard. 
it shouldn't be catching me off guard, right? I, I feel like the people that were praying for Peter to get out of jail, and then Peter shows up, knocks on the door, and they go, oh, that can't be Peter. And they close the door on him and go back and talk about praying for Peter. It's, it's that kind of feel sometimes for me that I really, I know, I know that what God can do, and I get up here week after week, and I tell us, guys, you gotta, you got to believe that God can do bigger than you think. You've got to know that he is much bigger. And then it catches me off guard when God does something. And so part of this is for me, but, but um, a lot of it is for you because you guys are the same. So Isaiah 38, and, and I would really want to push this. How, how can the Holy Spirit enlarge our faith? How can he really do something that makes us think bigger? We, we know cognitively, and we say this, well, God can do anything, right? But then when it comes to our own individual lives, we come up with all the reasons why he can't. Or he probably won't, doesn't want to. Because there's a major difference, there's a chasm between, God, I know you can, but do you want to with me? That's a, that's a huge space in there. Okay, Isaiah chapter 38, verse 4. The, the background of this story, it's good, go look at it, but I'm not going to include it in this this morning. I'm just going to kind of jump to the meat of this. Verse 4, then, then this message came to Isaiah from the Lord. Go back to Hezekiah and tell him, this is what the Lord, the God of your ancestor David says, I have heard your prayer and seen your tears. Isn't that the same language from the Exodus? God tells um, Moses, I've heard the cries of the people. And he said, I will add 15 years to your life and I will rescue you and this city from the king of Assyria. Yes, I will defend this city. Now verse 7 is where it just, you got to go here. And this is the sign from the Lord to prove that he will do as he promised. Isaiah tells Hezekiah that this is what the Lord is saying. I will cause the sun's shadow to move 10 steps backward on the sundial of Ahaz. So the shadow on the sundial moved backward 10 steps. Now, I did a bunch of um, reading and looking at stuff just because I find this stuff entertaining. <clears throat> where, the, where there will be an explanation. So I just Google that, right, um, this little thing, and I just look at all the different groups that say all the different things, and they're actually fairly entertaining. But there is this, there is a, kind of the normal thinking, this is actually even taught in some seminaries, kind of the normal thinking for this scripture is that God didn't really move time back. He just moved the shadow back. Now follow me with this. They're saying, basically, we believe the Bible, we believe Isaiah was a real guy, really part of this story, we believe Hezekiah was a real guy, part of this story, but the point of the story is not true. Everything else. These guys, wouldn't it just be easier to start at the beginning and say, nah, we just don't believe the Bible? That would be much quicker than trying to explain all of the stuff inside the story. If you believe all of the, that the, the, the Bible's real, that Isaiah's real, Hezekiah's real, this is a real story, then how much more difficult is it just to say, okay, then God did this? But see, this is where it comes past our ability as human beings sometimes for God to actually do the beyond natural or what we call supernatural, for God to be beyond the laws of, of uh, nature and physics, which, by the way, as a reminder, he created those laws. God made the sun. Remember, he made the sun two days after he made light. He makes the planet. He makes all of these things. And then Isaiah tells Hezekiah, God's going to show you that he's going to do this. 
by backing time up. Now, I looked at all kinds of different, what is this and what is, you know, what is 10 spaces or whatever the case is. And it's probably uh, around 45 minutes, 40, 45 minutes, okay? But I saw some that were saying it was a few hours, all that kind of stuff. The time doesn't matter. Once God starts backing up time, it doesn't matter how far he goes, right? Once you're kind of in charge of time, that way he does it. So, so he says he backs it up 10 steps. Now, if, if all that God did was move the shadow, isn't that also kind of a big thing? How did he do the sun? Did he move the sun enough to back it up 45 minutes and then, and then let it catch up to time? I mean, when you start, when you start messing with this stuff, you, you get way more questions than you get answers. Here's the easy answer. God did what he said he, he did. That's the easy answer. Just have the faith to believe. If God said this, then it is true. Why do, we, why do we take parts of Scripture? And it's normal human nature to do this. And, and the reason I know this is because I do it in my own life. You do it in your life. We, God has never moved time back from me. But I can explain away quickly when I need God to really do a supernatural thing in my life. I can come up with all kinds of reasons why he probably can't do that. As again, the thing that, that God has really been poking at me with a lot over those last few weeks is I pray for things, and I pray for people in the house, and I pray for all this other stuff, and then God does something. He gives me a conversation or something else, and I get to connect with people I would never think I would connect with about the Lord. And it catches me off guard. Because in my head, even though I'm praying for it, I don't really think God's going to do that. I mean, I'm not trying to be too hard on myself. I do think he is, but probably not. I mean, I know he is, but really is he? I mean, that's, the, that's really the conversation that's going on in my head. And so when God shows us that he can do this stuff, it's amazing how quickly we try to explain. Oh, he just moved the shadow. Okay, how'd he do that? Right? We, 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 we play silly games with this kind of stuff. And, it's, and it's, our, it's, our, it's our minds. Remember 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says that the way that, the Lord, the way that Satan tries to mess with your relationship with the Lord is he messes with how you think about God. He doesn't mess with you. He doesn't mess with God. I mean, he has potential for that. But not God, but us. But what he does is he messes with your knowledge of God is the way 2 Corinthians 10 says it. Your knowledge of God. That's why we're supposed to bring every thought into obedience to Christ. Because it's your, it's your thoughts that will tear down the reality of who God is in your life. It's not, all, it's not experience. We think it's experience. Well, I prayed and God didn't do this. And so that experience shows me maybe God doesn't answer those kind of prayers. But that's not actually what's happening. What happens is that, that event either happens or doesn't happen. And then we make a decision about it. And that's where the battle is is do we decide, oh, God doesn't do this or God does do this? Is the only way we can believe in God is if he does exactly the thing we ask exactly the way he asks it, the way we ask it. Is that the, way, is that the only way we can really believe in God? Or can we believe in him just because he's God, regardless if he does something or doesn't do something in our life? So let's go to Joshua chapter 10. I'm going to unpack this one a little bit more. And the first one, verse 1. Adonai Zedek, king of Jerusalem, heard that Joshua had captured and completely destroyed Ai and killed its king, just as he had destroyed the town of Jericho and killed its king. He also learned that the Gibeonites had made peace with Israel and were now all their allies. He and his people became very afraid when they heard all of this 
because Gibeon was a large town, as large as the royal cities and larger than Ai. And the Gibeonite men were strong warriors. So King Adonai Zedek of Jerusalem sent messengers to several other kings. Those guys. Verse 4. Come and help me destroy Gibeon. Normally I do that to, to rescue our sign language people, but they're not here. So I can pronounce them. I just don't want to this morning. Verse 5. So these five Amorite kings combined their armies for a united attack. They move all of their troops into place and attacked Gibeon. The men of Gibeon quickly sent messengers to Joshua at his camp in Gilgal. Don't abandon your servants now, they pleaded. Come at once and save us. Help us, for all the Amorite kings who live in the hill country have joined forces to attack us. So Joshua and his entire army, including his best warriors, left Gilgal and set out for Gibeon. Don't be afraid of them, the Lord said to Joshua. And that sounds like a simple sentence, right? And in our lives, it sounds simple when God says to us, just, just don't be afraid of this. You know, it sounds simple when, when Josh gets up there and says, well, God's sent me to um, the Lakota Sioux Reservation. And we go, oh, that is wonderful. Until he speaks to you like that. <laughs> right? And all of a sudden, that becomes a big issue. Wait, God, are you, you know, my, my first response usually is, Satan, I rebuke you. And then, and then after a few minutes, after God just kind of stands there politely saying, uh, no, that's me, right? God, God, God does have a plan for you, and he's really much bigger than, than, than any of us allow him at any moment. It's, it's settling our spirit to the point where we will listen to him. And when he says, don't be afraid, that we say, okay, I'm not going to be afraid. Well, but, but God, what about all these bills? Okay, but I'm not going to be afraid. What about this situation at work? Okay, but I'm not going to be afraid. It's, it's, it's so much easier to embrace that when other people say it about themselves, but then God comes to us and says this. He tells them, don't be afraid of them, the Lord said to Joshua, for I have given you victory over them. Not a single one of them will be able to stand up to you. Joshua traveled all night from Gilgal and took the Amorite armies by surprise. The Lord threw them into panic. How many times in Scripture do we see this? This is what I'm praying. This is what I'm praying in, in the house. That, that, I mean, you've heard me talk about this, but, the, but my, my starting point is always this. Jesus, the lion from the tribe of Judah, roar in this building. Not in this building. He does that too, and I want that. But I'm saying in the capital that Jesus will roar in that capital, and people will... People will all of a sudden see something or sense something, feel something, or the fear of God, or all the all the things that human beings can't do. <laughs> yeah. Okay. The Lord threw them into a panic, and the Israelites slaughtered great numbers of them at Gibeon. Then the Israelites chased the enemy along the road to Beth Horon, killing them all along the way to. Those two places. As the Amorites retreated down the road from Beth Aran, the Lord destroyed them with a terrible hailstorm. God had already caused the panic and the confusion and the running. Now he sends a hailstorm. This, this is the God we serve. He can do anything at any moment under any circumstance. We, we've got to, to, to not only pray this, but allow him to shift our thinking. The, the way the guy in the New Testament says it, Jesus, I do believe, but help me with my unbelief. 
Pray this stuff. Really ask God to help you. God, I need help because I'm struggling believing you can be in charge of this situation or this circumstance. Then the hail killed more of the enemy than the Israelites killed with the sore. On the day the Lord gave the Israelites victory over the Amorites, Joshua prayed to the Lord in front of all the people of Israel. Now, this is his prayer. He said, let the sun stand still over Gibeon. I mean, it's not playing around. He, I, now, this kind of, if you're following the events, it kind of sort of makes sense. Okay, God causes the panic. They're destroying the armies. Then he causes the hell storm. That kills more than their swords do. And then he just says, well, I guess God's kind of on a roll. Okay, God, stop the sun. <laughs> Think about that. Think about that. Sometimes when I'm praying for God to do supernatural things, I do this, and, and, I, and I've heard this a thousand times as a pastor. We all do the same thing. God, my need is not as big as so-and-so's, but if you could, that's, guys, that's not right thinking. God, God doesn't have some people he's going to bless and some people he's not. He, he wants to take care of all of us. He's the God over all of us. Jesus died on the cross for all of us. But we've got to have the mind shift that says, God, you can do anything. So, so Joshua just prays, okay, God, we're, we're chasing these guys down, but it's going to be evening here pretty soon, so if you could just stop the sun, that would be great. And, and it's, I, I, sometimes I just wish I had the ability to see this from God's point of view. When he says this, does God say something like, well, that's a big, that's a big request you got there, Joshua? Or does he say, it's about time you started thinking like I'm thinking? Seriously. Asking big stuff. Is big stuff harder than smaller stuff? So which is the difference in the two? Backing up the, the time for 45 minutes on the sundial from Isaiah or stopping the sun? And this potentially was um, up to 24 hours is kind of the way that um, Scripture shows it and also some uh, scientific tradition that shows it. So which is more difficult, backing up time 45 minutes or stopping time for hours? See, we, we can easily start grading, which, you know, how does, how does God do this? Is, is he a 45-minute God or is he an hour God or is he a 40-hour God? I mean, when do we just say, God, you are God? There's, there's some things. <clears throat> it says, let the sun stand still over Gibeon, the moon over the valley of that place. So the sun stood still and the moon stayed in place until the nation had defeated its enemies. Now, here's some things I read. Okay, so I did the same thing with this. And I want to I show you some of these. Because uh, some of this stuff is actually taught in seminaries. But one of, the, one of the studies that I looked at <clears throat> showed that they had, they had done some research and they found during this time frame, about 100 years either direction, that during this time frame, there was a big eclipse. And since Hebrew, the Hebrew here, when it says that uh, um, uh, Joshua asked the sun to stop shining or to stand still, that's what he said, it could have meant... Um, that the sun not do what it normally does. Okay, it's a stretch a little there, but, but that's kind of the way the Hebrew would lean into it. So Joshua says, have the sun stand still, and they say, well, that means that it could have been an eclipse. Now, now here's, here's the thing. 
So, okay, so Joshua prayed, and it got wrong, and it was an eclipse. That's still kind of a thing. That's still kind of a big thing there, but... But what happens is, again, they say, okay, this story is true. Bible's true. Joshua's true. These five Amorite kings are true. The story's true. Everything except the point of the story is not true. Because that goes, that's a bridge too far. So now they're saying, okay, it's an eclipse. But here's the problem. It says there, um, in in, uh, verse 13, it says, Is this event not recorded in the book of Jashar? The sun stayed in the middle of the sky... And it did not set as on a normal day. There has never been a day like this one before or since when the Lord answered such a prayer. Surely the Lord fought for Israel that day. The sun stayed in the sky. It didn't say the sun went behind a tree. It said the sun stayed in the sky. So why is an eclipse an okay answer to this story? Or why can't we just say, God, you did this? Plus, an eclipse doesn't help anybody fight. The eclipse is, the, is, is a darkening of the sun. Well, it was a partial eclipse. I read part of that too. So the sun was still there. They could still see, except the sun was still going down. These things don't make sense. Here's another one. That, um, <clears throat> that they're saying that the sun just, that God caused, I guess, God caused the sun to just kind of slow down. Why are you even bringing that to the conversation? What, what does that even mean? Okay, everything is true except the actual sun didn't stand still. God just slowed it down. Let's look at laws of physics, rotation, gravi- gravity, the sun, everything else. That still is a big problem. Even just slowing it down is as big of a problem as if we just take the story like it says. I read a bunch of stuff about traditions. Ancient Chinese, um, Incas of Peru, Aztecs of Mexico... The Babylonians, the Persians, the Egyptians under Herodotus, they all have recorded time frames, uh, records in their histories that say that there was a day that the sun stood still. Now, some people say, yeah, but maybe they're at different times or whatever the case is. Let let me give you the end of this for, for, for me, okay? I don't care what the scientists say. I don't care what the traditions. The traditions are cool. When I saw that, I was like, yeah, that's right. And I've even read, a, I've even read a, a, an astrological thing that says that, that uh, some scientists went, uh, mathematically went back and found that there was a 24-hour uh, missing gap, okay? But here's the thing. I don't need all that stuff. I don't care what the scientists say. I don't care what the traditions. They're good, and I like to read that stuff. It's entertaining to me, and I, and I do enjoy going down those kind of trails, But at the end of the day, I am not believing God because some scientists might have given us a reason to. I believe God because he's God. Because he he is truly the omni of everything. Omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient. He's the all of everything. He is the great I am. And and, And my responsibility as a Christian is to say, Jesus, then teach me how to have faith. Teach me to believe when things are getting difficult in my life. Teach me to believe because why? God is God. There's nothing he can't do. So this is the way that I like to ask the question. What can God not do in your life right now? Not what can he do because we'll come up with, well, yeah, God's God's everything. He can can heal. But, But we're not applying it to our life. But does God heal you? Today, does he even want to? 
Is that part of who he is? Well, he's everywhere at all times. Is he in your life today? Not is he, not is he omnipresent, but is he in your life right now? One of the things that I have uh, come across, this, this idea, um, well, so, so God created us in his image, right? And there's this, there's this phrase that always pops in my head when I think about that. God created us in his image, and we return the favor by creating him in our image. We do this with God. God, I'm going to limit you. We don't, I don't think we consciously say, I can't let God be that big. I think we subconsciously do this. And, and uh, specifically when we get to a really difficult situation in our life, it's, it's, it's challenging sometimes to, to stretch out there and say, Lord, I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to pray that you be God. I'm going to pray that you do this. And we will struggle with that. Because we have all the reasons why he, he hasn't or he won't or he can't or whatever. But he stopped the sun in the sky, and I believe that's a true story. I don't believe that's some fable or something, the way people take Scripture. I believe God really did that. Well, what a, why didn't the earth just crash and implode and, and gravity throw everything off and all the planets are different now and all this other stuff? Because he made all of it. He made all of it. He made the sun. He made the planets. He made you and I. He made everything. If he, wanna, if he wants to stop the earth on its rotation, he can do that. He created the rotation. And all he wants us to do is just stretch out and believe. Just can I believe? Can I believe? So here's the thing with salvation that gets me is one of the, the, um, the uh, uh, kind of the directions or the trends right now in our American Christianity is we have this idea that actually comes from all kinds of, I've experienced this all around the planet, but only in the last maybe 20 years here in the United States, this idea that I'm, I'm a Christian just because I go to church. Or I'm kind of born into this, right? And so, and I, and I believe that churches propagate this. They, they help this along sometimes because well, we're a, we just want you to come be a part of our church. And we got, a, you know, we got a cool coffee shop. Don't you want cool church coffee? And so if you'll come to our church, and then, and, and then nobody ever processes what it means to get saved. What we're doing is we're creating salvation in our image rather than what Scripture says. That when Jesus said I, he died on the cross, it's because we're sinners. It's not because he wanted to form a nice um, social group. It's because we're sinners and we need divine intervention. We need forgiveness. We need redemption. We need to be made right with God again because we've been separated from God. And we've, got to, we've got to be able to say, I have, I have submitted myself to Jesus Christ. I have asked for his forgiveness, and he is now my redeemer, my savior, mine. Not, not part of a large church context, but, a, but um, me individually being part of the body of Christ. Those are two different things. And we, we continue to do, to do this where we start creating and changing the story and doing all this other stuff. When do we just say, God, you're the God of everything. So then, therefore, what should I do? We talked about this a couple of Wednesday nights ago. What should I do? If I really know that God is, is, is the omni-whatever, what should I do? Completely submit to him. If I know that Jesus died on the cross, what should I do? Completely submit to him. Not some. Not enough to feel good during the week, but where it's a surrendering and an abandonment of yourself into him.
that Jesus isn't in my life anymore. I don't, I, I just want to follow your decisions. I want to follow your will and your plan. I submit, I submit, I submit. You've been hearing me say that a lot lately. Isaiah chapter 45, verse 12. The Lord says, I am the one who made the earth and created people to live on it. He made the thing. So he can stop it. He can spin it faster. He can do whatever he wants. Because he's in charge of the earth. He created it. And then he says, with my hands, I stretched out the heavens. All the stars are at my command. I'll give you a little thing here. This one just, because I'm a nerd like this. But the sentence, with my hands, I stretched out the heavens. You've heard me talk about this when it comes to some of the understanding we have of our universe now that we didn't have 50 years ago. And one of the things that, that we have now is that we understand, and this is fairly newer information, is that we understand that our universe is expanding. Okay, it's getting bigger all the time. Now, what does that do? That automatically changes all the timelines that we look at when we're looking at stars and telescopes and stuff like that. And it makes our Earth much, much, astronomically much younger than science has originally said. And here's the next thing that's come along. This is even newer information. Is that the universe is expanding at an ever-quickening, exponentially quickening rate, which now brings it even younger and younger and younger and younger. And those stars that we're saying are billions of years old, now they're like 45 minutes old. I don't know, maybe my numbers are off. But, <laughs> but here's the thing. Look at this sentence. With my hands, I stretched out the heavens. He didn't just create. He's stretching the heavens. That was free. Mark chapter 8, verse 27. Jesus and his disciples left Galilee and went up to the villages near Caesarea Philippi. As they were walking along, he asked them, who do people say that I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you're one of the prophets. And then the greatest sentence and greatest question in the New Testament. Then he asked them, who do you say I am? And Peter replied, you're the Messiah. You're the Messiah. Why don't you stand with me? So this is the question I want to ask you. And this is the question we're going to pray about. Is who do you say the Lord is? When Jesus says to you, who do you say I am? What do you say? Be careful because you can automatically make these more ambiguous and passive statements. When the Lord says, who do you say I am? Oh, you're God. You're the ruler. You're the creator. All these things. Because somewhere you have to take that into your personal space. You have to say, you're my God. You're my Redeemer. You're my Savior. You're my Messiah. Because that's when it becomes for you and I. I have to get to a point, and, I, and I've done this. I had to get to a point where I said, Jesus, I submit myself to you. Because why? You're my Redeemer. Not some God in the sky but you're my redeemer. You're my savior. And then that's where our faith takes next. You're my healer. You're my provider. You, you do this stuff for me. Not just the masses, but for me. So bow your head with me. Lord, we, we ask you to open our spirit right now. Open our mind, our eyes spiritually to see a little bit more of who you are, a little bit bigger. 
little more of your majesty, a little more of your love, your amazingness, your grace. That Jesus, you really are so much bigger than what we could imagine. Help us go down that path, intentionally pursue you. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Keep your head bowed with me just for a few minutes. And I want to ask you the question, what I just said. As if you don't know for sure that Jesus is your Savior, if you, if you have not intentionally gone there, asked him, Jesus, will you be Lord over my life? You don't become a Christian just by hanging out with Christians. Jesus becomes your Redeemer when you ask him to forgive you, you repent, and you ask him to be your redeemer. So that's what I want us all to do in this room. But I, but I, I want to give you a chance to, to, to think about this personally. So if you're saying, I know that Jesus is not my Savior, or I'm not sure that he's my Savior, or I don't, I don't know. We're all going to pray together here in just a minute. I'm not going to ask you to come down front or anything like that. But, but right where you're standing, just say, I, I just need Jesus to be my Savior. I need him to be in charge of my life. If that's you, I'd like you to raise your hand real quick. All right. Okay. All right. So, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray this prayer together if you'd like to. For you that raise your hands, do the best you can to... Make this your personal prayer, even if you didn't raise your hand. But but every one of us in here, we're just going to ask Jesus to be in charge of our lives. So if you'd like to repeat this prayer with me, and uh, let's ask let's ask Jesus to be our Savior. Lord God, I need you more than anything. I ask you to forgive me of anything I've ever done that's not pleasing to you. Jesus, I want you to be my Savior, my Redeemer, God over my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God, thank you for this. Thank you for the amazingness of what it means just to surrender ourselves. And Lord, that, that we really believe that this, is, that this is true. This is not something that's fake or made up. That if we really believe that you are God over everything, that we really ask you to forgive our sins, then, Lord, you do that. And, Lord, now we pray, help us to every single day pursue you. Lord, help us to realize this isn't a one-time prayer. This is a life. I'm giving you my life, and I'm pursuing you in the name of Jesus. Build our faith, Lord. Build our faith to believe, to trust, to pray differently. Expect you to do big stuff because you're a big God. And we thank you for this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So take the opportunity to say hello to Josh before you take off. Before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the chance to let somebody know Jesus loves them. Do the best you can to tell somebody about Jesus and God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand. Tell them how glad you are that they are here, even if you have to make it up. And we will see you Wednesday night.